The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for so, listening. So um, Tiffany and I, my wife Tiffany, we've been married 21 years, and we she's not here today, but um, we've been married 21 years. We started dating when she was a senior in high school, and I had just graduated and had started at Daytona State College. I was doing an associate's degree. And so I went with her to her winter formal or homecoming dance. And I was a homeschool kid, so I didn't do dances. And so I went, this is a picture from 2000, 23 years ago. And I didn't own a jacket or a shirt with buttons uh, and certainly not a tie. And so this is borrowed apparel from a grown man, twice my size. You could have fit two of me in that jacket. And she went to school, the same private school in Jacksonville, uh, the Bowles School, with a, a notable group of families, all many of whose last names you would know because they own everything on 95 from here to there. And so she grew up in this, in this culture and with these people. And I came in late to the game as her boyfriend. And we went to this dance together. And I, I look very uncomfortable in that photo. That, that was the best moment of the night right there, actually. Um, it got worse. We we sat at a table with a bunch of her friends who I did not know, including her ex-boyfriend of three years and his new girlfriend. So that was a fun conversation. And I felt about as comfortable as a pig in a bacon factory, okay? Um, so I'm glad that night is over and things have definitely gotten better since then. But it, it, I was reminded of this night because as I'm reading through the Bible in six months, which we're doing as a church, and as I'm asking the Holy Spirit to speak to me and for us, in this kind of binge the Bible series and what's popping out from the scriptures, uh, Luke chapter 14, verses one to 24, just like leapt off the page. And Luke chapter 14 begins with an awkward dinner moment, uh, probably even more awkward than the winter formal of 2000. And so I want to direct your attention to Luke 14 and verse one. Jesus is the central figure of these gospels. And in the center section of Luke's gospel in chapters 10 to 18, Jesus is making his movement towards Jerusalem where he will ultimately be betrayed, executed, and buried. But that is not the end of his story. In fact, that is only the beginning because on the third day, as he prophesied, he rose victorious from the grave and then revealed himself to his followers over the period of 40 days. And then he ascended into heaven where he remains in bodily form, ruling and reigning over the earth from heaven's throne and bringing his kingdom into the hearts of those who willingly receive his gift of salvation by his grace and through faith. And that's who we are. Somebody say amen. And so Luke tells the story of all that happened leading up to that. And one of the facets of this interaction is Jesus going to dinner with everybody. Luke's gospel is basically a progressive dinner of Jesus eating here and then eating here and then eating here and then eating here. He's just eating with everyone. And so Luke 14 opens with Jesus having been invited to the home of a prominent Pharisee. Somebody say prominent. I'm reading in the NIV because I like some of the word choices here better than my typical ESV. But Luke 14, verse one says, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. They were watching him with the stink eye. What's he gonna do? There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Some translations say dropsy, which was a catch-all kind of diagnosis for anyone who had edema. So they're retaining water. And this could have been for a number of reasons most commonly has to do with heart disease. This is a picture of someone dying slowly 
and painfully and publicly. And so these Pharisees have brought this guy in, not because he's prominent, not because he's a friend, but to objectify him for the purpose of putting Jesus to the test among the other Pharisees. Now, there are two guests at this dinner table who feel equally unwanted, Jesus and this man. And here they find themselves seated near one another. And in verse three, it says, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And that's the question. Don't you love the way Jesus just cuts right through the garbage? Isn't it very refreshing when you meet a person who's not good at small talk? And they're like, oh, I see the reason we're all here. Let's just get right to it. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Verse four, but they remain silent. Why? Why? Well, because the answer to the question is, there's nothing in the law that prohibits healing. So if you go back to your Old Testament, which we just read in January, and you try to find a law that says you shall not heal on the Sabbath, you will not find that law. But you will find laws that say you shall not work on the Sabbath. And so if you are a healer or a doctor, then your healing would be work. And so by inference, you may come to the conclusion that it is against the law to heal on the Sabbath. And so there's a quandary. Now, the Pharisees were all about bringing about a revolution, a kingdom revolution by getting people to fall in line. If you people would get your stinking act together, maybe Messiah would come and Israel would be on the top instead of the bottom. There would be a revolution and we would be in control. And so they set out to create all of these many, many rules that would keep the Israelites from transgressing God's command. And so there was the law, but then there were all their rules around the law. And in their rules around the law, you could not heal on the Sabbath. And so there is a question on the table. Is it lawful or is it unlawful? Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, that is not the first topic of interest in my mind. If Jesus can heal people of dropsy, that's worth seeing. Somebody say amen. And so you see what matters to them, what matters to Jesus, and then what becomes a footnote in these opening verses. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And that's it. In fact, this miracle is not featured. It is actually just the setup to what's actually happening in the rest of the chapter. But I I can't move on from verse four without recognizing a couple things. Number one, it says Jesus took hold of the man. I just love how Jesus is always putting his hands on everybody. People who are sick and suffering, ostracized and unwanted, judged and seen as being morally corrupt and, and, and unclean. And these are the people that Jesus moves towards. And he doesn't just move towards to be close. He puts his hands on them. Jesus could have healed with a word, but he shows his love with his hands. Isn't that beautiful? And then I just love how it just summarily says, he healed him. Just like that. That was it. I'm like, can we get some more details, Luke? Was it like slow or sudden? Was he, was he covered up and he had to show everybody, I don't have any edema anymore? What did that look like? We don't get any details because that's not actually the important part of the story. What I love also is it says, and he sent him on his way. Imagine Jesus heals this guy and this guy's like, and then Jesus is like, do you want to hang out here or do you want to go? I'd like to go. Okay, you go. Just sends him away. It's like the most merciful thing. Second to healing him was letting that guy leave dinner. Verse five. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Of course they would, but they 
had nothing to say. Just shutty. Now, this setting was not one of hospitality, and this is not a sermon about hospitality. However, here's my sermon title for you. You ready for this? You ready for this? This passage, this chapter, these verses will lead you to this conclusion. Swap your search and set your table. Swap your search, set your table. We're gonna swap our search. We're gonna set our table. We're about to get some insight into what's actually going on here. It's not hospitality. Look at verse seven. When he noticed, Jesus, how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have also been invited. If so, the host who invited you both will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, we can do this Christian thing where we take this universal truth, which is stated at the end of this section. We can go, humility, good. Pride, bad. Low seat, good. Best seat, bad. Don't be bad, be good. Right? There's plenty of sermons like that. That is not the point. Jesus is not taking this opportunity to talk about the promises of humility and the perils of pride. He's not. Here's what he's doing. He's trying to expose our hearts. And here's how he does it. When you actually get into this story and you listen to what Jesus is saying, you should have this feeling. What if nobody notices where I'm sitting? I came to the dinner party and I went all the way to the lowest seat. I mean, I sat at the kid table <laughs> around the corner from all the fun and I'm sitting there quietly. And what happens if nobody notices me? Do you guys know what I'm you see what Jesus is doing here? See, the question is not, will you be humble and therefore exalted? Or will you be proud and therefore humiliated? That is a universal principle. Jesus is asking you to consider, what are you searching for? And the answer is significance. The answer is prominence. The answer is acceptance. The answer is security. And we all do this. We get into these little social environments and we compare ourselves to so-and-so in all kinds of different ways. And men and women, we all do it and we do it differently and we do it differently as age changes us. We do it differently. When we're watching how our children are behaved versus somebody else's children are behaved. We do it with our physical appearance and we notice somebody walk in, they're more attractive than us. Somebody walk, some dude walks in and his arms are bigger than mine. I can still not find shirts that make my arms look strong. I don't know where you guys get these shirts. Where, where do you get these shirts? None of them are small enough for my arms to bulge, you know? We do this thing where we look into the room and we stack ourselves up. And then we, 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 maybe subconsciously, but I think if we're honest, we do this a little bit more consciously than we'd like to admit. We navigate our way into the people we wanna be around, into the circles we wanna run in, into the people we think can help us take it to the next level, into the in crowd, the fun crowd, the, you know, we all, we all wanna have a neighbor with a boat right? You all want to be friends with the person with the pool next door. You want to be with the, with the small business owner who could really help your business get a lift. We're always looking around at what best suits us, and we're trying to inch our way closer, and we do this, all of us, all the time. 
Now, some of us proactively do it. And actually right now there's this kind of like internet push. This is like, you can pay money to people will teach you how to do this. This whole idea of like, if you tell me who your five closest friends are, I can tell you how much money you make, right? Now, all you have to do is strategize and move over into this group and this camp and do these things and go to these networking opportunities and you will find yourself where you wanna be. And you're like, I'll pay for that. Jesus is taking that exact thing to the ground. He's saying, this is what the Pharisees were doing. They show up to a dinner party at a prominent person's house. Everybody's jockeying for position. And when it comes time to sit down, everyone's looking at the table and all of them know what's the best seat and everybody's going for it. And Jesus says, no, you've got to recognize that your search for significance needs to be swapped for something different. Look at verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, this is the guy who invited Jesus to dinner. This is what he says. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back. And so you will be repaid. And you're like, that's the point, right? But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now let this sink in for a second because Jesus is not telling you to be less self-aware and he's not telling you to be less, uh, less purposeful in your pursuit. He's just saying you're aiming too low. You're aiming to try to find this little group of people that's gonna allow you to make these tiny little movements into this little social circle where you're establishing some internal but probably false sense of security, significance, and acceptance and all that can come tumbling down in three seconds. And in fact, we do this when we're young. We, we have these big ideas about what our life is gonna look like. The things we're gonna do, the places we're gonna go, the people we're gonna meet, the success we're gonna find. You guys know you just graduated high school. And then you turn 40 and you go, well, this is it. This is where we landed. We got right here. This is the dream house. Are we gonna move? Nope. This is how many kids I had. And now I'm learning what that costs, right? You just adjust, don't you? And then through middle age, you live this life where 14, 15 years goes by and it feels like 45 minutes and you're tired. And then all of a sudden you're old and you're, all your outlook totally changes and you're caring about the, the people, the kids, the grandkids, their well-being, and you're dispelling wisdom and no one will listen. Do you know? You know what I'm talking about? This is what happens. This is what happens. You're like, don't make the mistakes I made. Well, there you go. All right. Do you see how this whole thing takes place? And here's what Jesus is saying. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. Because you will, over that period of time, you will have these big dreams and they will, they will, they will get crushed into small sizes and you'll just apply the same logic into an ever increasingly smaller circle of humans. And now you just need to be the smartest person of your eight friends, not hard. Now you just need to be the most successful person on your street. Now you just need to have the nicest, newest vehicle in your neighborhood. Like, what are you doing? And Jesus says, listen, there is something so much bigger, so much more profound, so much longer lasting. And here's where you're gonna experience the blessing that's gonna come from God. You ready? Live like him. Love like him. 
Invite the people who can't pay you back. Invite the ones that people see as invisible and walk right past and don't make eye contact with. See them, love them, invite them. He's saying, swap your search for prominence and grab a search for people. Do you see this? And now that you're looking for people, step two, swap your search and set your table. Somebody say, set your table. I love the tension. I brought a little bit of the tension into the room and then I gave some humor so you didn't have to sweat unnecessarily. But Jesus brought even more tension. I just wish I could be in the room when Jesus was making everyone feel uncomfortable. He was like a pro. And in verse 15, somebody breaks the silence. It says in the NIV, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, and blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. <laughs> Let's just change the subject. That's what he's doing. It's like, whoa, this got weird. Let's just all be glad that we're all going to heaven when we die and we're all gonna be a part of the, the big feast. Okay, and appetizers. Jesus isn't done yet, verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. So Jesus is talking about this feast in the kingdom of God. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. Little side note, you guys ready for this? I don't know if you know this or not, but in the ancient Near East, they did not have cell phones. There was no email. There was no uh, postal service. And so if you were gonna invite someone to a party, this is what you did. You sent them a messenger and said, I am going to have a party soon. When? Soon. And I would like you to be there. You are on my guest list because the party was not about the place or the time or the event. The party was about the people. Did you know that? And so you have been chosen to be a part of this party. <gasps> You've been invited. And then the invitation goes out. That's number one. Now, all the preparations take place. The weather's lining up. Everything's coming together. And so now we know because we don't have refrigeration and the ability to plan and transportation. Now we give everybody just a little bit of heads up. Guess what? The party is now coming. It's Thursday. Second invitation. So you got, I got invited. Three weeks goes by. Four weeks goes by. It's Thursday. And now you're getting the second invitation. Now listen, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. You, you, you bought real estate, sight unseen, and you can't go to dinner because that's the day you have to go look at dirt? Do you see what kind of excuse this is? Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way out to try them out. Please excuse, you, you bought an F-150 from Idaho on eBay? and it's being delivered in the Target parking lot so you can't go to dinner? What? I like this one's my favorite. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> Do you get what's going on here? Amen. Remember I told you one time the Bible's funny? This is funny. This is funny Jesus. He's being funny. And everyone should have been laughing uncomfortably at these excuses. Why? Because these are dumb. These are the things people say when they don't want to go to your party. I wish I could have been crazy week at the softball thing. And just, we, we, I can't. You don't want to go. This is a stupid excuse. Why? I'm not interested in being a part of your party because you can do nothing for me. Do you see the perception that happens? Listen, if somebody doesn't understand the value of who Jesus is, no one's going to ever want to do the things he's inviting them to do. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? Hate your mom. What? Yeah. You got to hate your mother and your father and your brothers and your sisters. And in fact, you have to hate yourself. Deny yourself, even to the point of taking up your own cross daily. If you're not willing to do that, you can't be my disciple. Man, talk about should bury in the terms and conditions. 
But this was Jesus' cell. Why? Because until you see Jesus as being so compelling and so valuable that there's nothing you wouldn't give up to have him, you haven't seen Jesus. And here's what Jesus is telling in this story. They don't wanna be at his banquet because they don't understand what they're being invited to. Now look what happens next, verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Do you know there's room at God's table for you? Do you know that he doesn't want an empty seat at the table? And it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what has happened to you, God wants you. Jesus is turning the whole system upside down instead of a top-down hierarchy where everyone's crawling to get at the top, pushing the people down beneath them. Jesus comes in and he turns the whole thing upside down. He goes from heaven's throne to earth to death to death on the cross, he bears away our sin. And so he is highly exalted and given the name that is above every name. And now his invitation to his followers is come down low with me and watch us change the world together. And so set your table, set your table. Literally, I'm saying literally set your table. You wanna reshape the world? Port Orange, Daytona Beach, New Smyrna Beach, Holly Hill. Set a table and invite people you don't know to eat with you. Not figuratively. How many of you have ever been invited to a meal after church by someone you didn't know? Raise your hand. Hardly any of you. How many of you would go to lunch with my family after church if I invited you? Raise your hand. Be honest, raise your hand. You think you'd like to do that, wouldn't you? You've never been to lunch with my family. (laughs) Listen, here's the reality. All all of us would like to be invited to lunch. Do you know that? And most of us would go. We we get hung up by the base trim and the dining room that's not finished or the fact that the dog will have to be in the cage or that someone will say no to us and our feelings will be hot. (laughs) When the reality is, is that if you were to make room in your life and welcome in people who are far from God, that could be the very thing that changed their life and their eternity forever. I wanna to read to you a story. This is a real story. Our, our missionaries on the ground, they're not ours, they're themselves. We support them and they're part of our church and we love them. Um, and we've got missionaries who are presently in the Middle East doing ending Bible poverty right now, right now, very, like, like right this minute, okay? And they did ministry for 10 years in Afghanistan And two of the people that they led to the Lord are still there, native Afghans who are doing ministry in refugee camps in Tajikistan for people who have run from the Taliban and are hiding out in terrible conditions in Tajikistan, okay? I'm gonna read you, this is from just a couple weeks ago. This is fresh, I want you to hear it. The worship team's gonna come close us out. Hello to everyone. I am Arzu Ahmadi from Panjshir province of Afghanistan. I'm a 33-year-old woman. I married a 50-year-old man when I was 15. I have five children, two girls, and three boys. In 2021, 
my husband was kidnapped by the Taliban and was murdered. I was bearing a lot of suffering alone. I was a single mother and had to fight for my five children. I tried to protect and take care of my children, but I was weak against the Taliban. The cousin of my murdered husband worked with the Taliban and he forced me to marry him. I refused him saying that I was not looking for a husband. He threatened me and said that he will get my children and I will never see them again. He wanted to give my daughters, 13 and eight years old, as girl wives to old men from the Taliban. After two days, he kidnapped my son and I went to get him back and pay a ransom. They took me into a room where my son was and they insulted, assaulted me in front of my son's eyes. It was a great shame to us, especially to my son. After that horrible incident, my son began to stutter and most of the time was silent. I was very weak and couldn't resist them. We fled to the refugee town, Vadat, Tajikistan. Life for refugees was and is unbearable there. No money, no food, no place to stay. We lost hope and felt abandoned. My son, after that incident, felt shame and began to cut his wrists. He wanted to commit suicide. I wished death to myself also. My son many times closed himself in the bathroom and tried to kill himself. Several times I found him laying on the ground crying. I decided to poison myself and all my children so that we would all die together. But one day I met Ruslan and Ali. They helped me and my starving family with food, with clothing and they showed us love and care. They said that they have good news for me. And they told us how much Jesus loves us and gives us new life, eternal life. These brothers always came to us and helped us with food and a place to stay. They prayed for us and demonstrated the love of God. They invited us to their meetings where we met other believers. And I started believing in Jesus and seeing his love through these simple God-loving Christian people. Ali and Ruslan came to my house and they invited us to Bible classes. I went to Bible study with my children. I really enjoy Bible classes and my children felt safe in the Bible school. One day Ruslan came to our house. They prayed for me and my five children. We started visiting school during the school time. My son said that he gave his life to Jesus and doesn't want to go back to that horrible old life. He started changing and I saw smiles in my son again. He stopped his attempts at suicide. It is a blessing to me as a mother to see how happy my children are and how they rejoice when we have Sunday meetings or Bible classes. Our faith is growing and getting stronger from day to day. In the future, after I finish Bible school, I wanna travel and share about Jesus to people who have lost hope also, giving them the hope which can only be found in Jesus, our savior. I want to serve my Afghan people, sharing with them about the salvation of Jesus. That's a powerful story. 
But the reality is, is that there are women like Arzu in Holly Hill and in New Smyrna Beach and in Port Orange. There are families devastated by violence, hopeless, addicted and broken. And they would go to your house for dinner too. Do you know that? I don't know what your journey towards significance has looked like, what that search for prominence is like. But I do know that we serve the Jesus who put away equality with God so that he could become like one of us. And he just shared a meal with every single person that would have him. And he went down, down, down so that he could lift us all up, up, up. And what higher calling is there for us as Jesus followers than to swap out our search for prominence with the search for people and set our table and welcome those whom God loves. Amen. God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, starting with those who don't know the hope that we have in Jesus for themselves. Maybe they showed up today with some awareness of who you are, but they do not know you personally. And even as I've been speaking, they are experiencing something they can't put words to, that you are drawing them to yourself. They know this is the truest thing they've ever heard. And even though they don't understand it fully, they want this badly. God, I pray for every person in that condition that right now, they would recognize the beginning of faith and that their faith would come to a God who has no reluctance and only steadfast love. And I pray right now, Lord, that as they just have a simple conversation with you to say, God, if you're real and this is true, I want this. Please take my life, forgive me, and take my life. Lord, that's the beginning of the rest of eternity. And Lord, I pray for all of us who every day struggle through searches for significance. God, we all do it, all of us. Lord, I just pray that you would help us. Holy Spirit, redirect our attention away from us looking for a place for us and use whatever we have in our capacity to make room at the table for others. God, I thank you that we are secure and knowing that there is a seat at your table for us. And we, with you, want heaven's feast to be full. And so we pray that you would do this work in us. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen.